absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons. Another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and I am proud to welcome back a good buddy of mine, the homie himself from Spargo Golf. He's been on the pod before. It's been way too long, Mr. John Pannoni. John, what's the good word? Oh, man, thank you so much for having me, Dan. Um, we are, you know, weathering this crazy storm that's uh, that's going on in the in the world, and um, golf's in a good place, so we're we're just trying to do uh, do the right thing and break off at the same time. Yeah, we got a we got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but I mean, first off, I kind of, you know, I hate to go into like plug mode right off the bat, but everybody under the sun knows that, you know, I went to you last November and, and got fit for a, you know, a set of Mizunos, hybrids all the way down, uh, a Titleist driver, Titleist 3 wood. I mean, it's been an absolute godsend as of late. I am assuming you get a lot of those repeat customers and kind of validation for what you do from all the people that you service there uh, i gotta be honest i mean you're you're one of the the top promoters of <laughs> of the shop i mean you, you took the pilgrimage from, from pa all the way to all the way to our little state to come see us so yeah but dude but yeah, it it's, was it's it was so worth it like i can't even <laughs> you know like you're a legend People, people are like, dude, you're such a shill. And I'm like, yeah, I am. You know why? Because it freaking worked. <laughs> See, that's, you know, that's all that matters to us. But yeah, it's fun seeing the repeat customers and now being coming up in November of this year is going to be my second year as the owner. Um, so seeing like everybody come back, we just had a guy come back today, actually, to tell Steve that he made the most birdies that he had ever made in 18 holes uh, making putts. And, you know, it's, it's just really cool having people come back and saying that the game, you know, their games have gotten a little bit better in certain areas. We've been able to help out in certain areas that, you know, maybe aren't as clean as they wanted it and seeing if, you know, maybe any little adjustments, but yeah, I mean, we can't, you know, I know Steve and I, Steve and I can't thank you. Uh, thank you enough for, for spreading the good word about us. Well, I got to give a big shout out to Steve because, <laughs> you know, the, the putting. He, he needs it. He's like the hidden. He's the hidden. Uh, he runs the shop when I'm in the studio. Dude, you, you know, <laughs> you, you, I'll tell you exactly who he is. He's like Bear to the Grateful Dead, like the producer, the sound producer. You know what I mean? Like I like, I like the, that. <laughs> the, dead, the dead would not have their sound if it wasn't for him, right? Like, he's that guy. Absolutely. So, Here's here's a great story. Tyler, the creator, and I go up to play um, Jack Frost National, and I, I had this brilliant idea. Um, we got money on the line. We're always playing with money on the line, a little bit, not a ton. Oh, I, right? oh, I follow. I followed along in this story. Yeah, yeah. So this is <laughs> this is like if if people want like the true bread and butter. I mean, I had putted for six, seven months with, it, and and look, it was my same putter, right? It was an Odyssey Seven uh, OS Seven Blackwork series, but Steve cut it down, adjusted the the lie, um, hooked it up with a great grip that just completely fit my unique stroke. Can we say that? Right. That's probably fair enough and uh absolutely i had i had just regripped an old odyssey saber tooth which i had for years never i mean dude i haven't put up with this thing in in five six years 
but I regripped it because I was going to let my son use it because he is a Titleist, um, and he just wanted to try something a little bit different. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring this putter out. And Tyler's like, you're an idiot. Like, we're playing for money. You've got this putter, which you've been killing with, like literally a murderer on the greens all year. And now you're going to bring out a new putter. And I was like, yeah, dude, of course I am. So needless to say, the front nine was an absolute cluster. I mean, no feel, no touch. Alignment's off. I'm missing two-footers, three-footers. You name it. no. I miss it, and I'm up by one stroke on Tyler at the turn. Now, for people that follow along on the Instagram page, like at the turn, like I'm usually up by 10 or 11 on him. Uh, (laughs) In between the ninth and the 10th holes, you have to pass your car. I swerved off the car path, junked that putter in the trunk, got back with my, you know, my, my OG, and just murdered the back nine. I mean, like, like nothing ever happened again. It was night, night or day, night and day. You like, know, like putting on a pair of old shoes. But I mean, dude, who I who out there? If you're out there listening to this, right? Haven't passed your car and switched out a club mid round. I think you're lying to to both of us right now. Yeah, and I don't like look <laughs> USGA. I love you and all, but I don't care. These rules don't apply to me. Like I'm trying to win five bucks off Tyler. You know, I could oh, care less. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. This is this is more just friend rules. Uh, I've done it, did it, did it the other day to a buddy. I I was playing a t- the Taylor Made Mini Driver, and I walked right into my car on the fourth hole because the tee box happened to go by my truck and put my regular gamer in the bag and proceeded to absolutely feed in the rest of the day but you know that's that's what happens when you carry a bunch of clubs in your car yeah they should they should learn from us is what they should exactly like if you get nothing else out of this you know (laughs) stick with what works people and i understand very true (laughs) i used to be a tinkerer you know and until i went to john and realized like okay these are the clubs that fit me and and they fit my swing path and even if my swing is going to deviate a little bit on a given day, I don't need to change anything. So, you know, my biggest takeaway with getting fitted perfectly, if you will, is the fact that it it eliminates like one whole entire negative part of the equation if I'm playing poorly, right? Back when I was playing poorly in a round, I would say, is it my swing? Is it the clubs? Well, I mean, hell, it can only be those two things. So now I know it's not the clubs. So it's just me on that given day. And, and I'm okay with that now. I like that. Oh, I love to hear that. And, you know, it's, and especially for, you know, if you know your swing, if you can kind of confidently believe that, hey, yeah, it's not the club anymore because I've got everything dialed into my body type, then, yeah, we can try to go through the Rolodex of swing band-aids to fix yourself for maybe that back nine or the last few holes or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, like you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It's just, you, you take out, you eliminate one little thing. If you're, if you're fit, right, then you can, and I appreciate the kind words by the way. Um, but if you're fit properly to your body type, then you can eliminate the theory of the clubs are wrong for me. I'm just making a bad swing. And as golfers and as athletes, we can move on from that pretty quickly. We can, we can adjust and, 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 and move forward on the round where, if you're sitting on the tee box and you make a swing, you say, shoot, man, maybe it's my driver. Maybe it's my swing. Oh, now you're no man's land. And you've got no chance of finishing that round confidently because you're, you don't really know where to put your focus on where to fix it, where to put the Band-Aid on it. 
Right. See, I'm I'm a hundred percent firm believer of just whatever you have that day on the course, play it. Right. Don't try to fix things on the course. But back when I had like a mishmash of clubs, you know, I, I didn't know if it was, you know, maybe I hit my 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 wedges well, which were different than my irons, you know, which were different than my hybrids, which had a different flex than my three wood. And, and some of the clubs might work and some of the clubs don't work on a certain day. And then you're always kind of back to the drawing board. And I feel like you're always back to square one. And, and so there's never any progression. Now, you know, I can, I can say to myself, okay, look, you're fading the ball a little bit today. You really never do that. But you know what? That's what your body is doing today. Maybe you're too tight. You know, maybe, maybe you've had, you know, too many workouts in, in a row and not enough rest time. And your body just can't sync up properly. So that's cool. Play it today. Simple as that. I like that, especially for you. It's got to be a little bit easier too, because knowing, you know, knowing very much how the body works, um, you can kind of adjust accordingly. Sure, for sure, for sure. Um, so okay, so there's my little rant over and done with. We'll get into the meat. Uh, and uh, thing. Those are wonderful rants. We can go on more <laughs> rants like that. <laughs> for sure, for sure they are. Um, so listen, I mean, I I gotta kind of know. Obviously, as an independent business owner, like you said, coming up on the two-year anniversary of Spargo Golf in Rhode Island, how has this pandemic been for you? And I feel like, you know, I feel like this is all we've been talking about on the pod as of late, but it, it, it's relevant and it's topical. And and I haven't had anybody on that's actually owned their own business and and heard from them within the golf realm. So it's been, um, oof. It was, we were, we were closed down for six weeks. We were just sitting at home. Um, uh, governor, governor of our, uh, Rhode Island decided to just close down all businesses and, um, only essentials were open. So anything, it basically, I'll start there. We had to reschedule our entire May was booked out and we had to reschedule all of those players from May to April. Um, they were all thankfully really cool about it, but the other issue on the back end that we ran into was all of the clubs that we had ordered pre-March, I'm sorry, pre-May, um, basically got put on hold because our companies were out of Arizona, Title uh, is in California, TaylorMade's in California, Cobra's coming out of Mexico, so they were okay in the beginning. Adele is coming out of Texas, um, and Mizuno was one of the few in the beginning that was still shipping, but we were completely closed down. So it wasn't even like I was going into the shop. So I had all of these, my, my wife's a saint because I had all of these golf clubs being shipped from all of these OEMs to my apartment, um, because I wasn't going into the shop because we were really told not to go out unless you needed to, um, so we basically held on to these clubs and I brought them in May 8th. And then my first fitting May 8th was a husband and wife full bag fittings on a Saturday. And they called the night before saying, Hey, is it okay if we come down because we're coming from mass? And in the beginning of all this, right when we opened, anybody coming from another state into Rhode Island had to either, or they right in the beginning, they had to quarantine for 14 days. No questions asked. So I couldn't have any come from out of state, which, as you know, being from Pennsylvania and driving <laughs> as far as you did, we have a lot of clients from out of state. Um, so it kind of handcuffed me in a way, uh, but got lucky that a lot of 
the early clients were Rhode Islanders. And it speaks to where Steve and I's kind of goal when I, tra- I transition- transitioned as the owner is to get more of Rhode Island as still growing outward, but focus inward as well because we're kind of missing that market. So once we opened up in May, it has been, I don't feel like I've stopped because all of my, my professional state opens have been canceled. We had the Providence open last week. So that was the only thing I've played in. So I've opened up my schedule six days a week. So we've been fitting pretty much six days a week, four fittings a day since we opened May 8th, trying to just make up a little bit of the, you know, we missed our prime two we missed six weeks in our basically our prime beginning of our season which is brutal but um golf seeing you know i don't know i don't know how everyone else in the world in the you know listening in it but on the the sales side of it we're seeing numbers that we haven't seen you know i've been in the industry for six years of selling golf clubs and fitting and building um i haven't seen numbers like this ever ever it's, it's insane. Um, people are either a getting into golf or getting back into golf because it's the only thing people can do anymore. Um, as of right now, you know, Massachusetts was shut down. They weren't allowed to play golf while Rhode Islanders were still able to play golf. So I'd go play with friends and, you know, we'd be walking and you'd look across the fairway and you could clearly see that the whole group in front of you was learning how to play golf. It was like, well, that's, it's crazy that it took a, you know, a, a shutdown pandemic, global pandemic where hundred, you know, hundred thousand plus people have died for people to get back into going outdoors and being healthy. But you know, you can take positives from all the negatives that are going on. Um, as golfers, it's every, you know, all this, all the talk of golf being on the downward spiral, I think it's kind of reversing back upwards, which is a great thing. So that's a really funny point, right? Because for for years, you always heard from different media outlets, you know, golf is dying, golf is dead, the younger generation is not going to carry it on like, you know, let's say people our age and, and older. Um, and what's what's really funny is the fact that courses are completely packed, Pass. right? Packed at a from, time? I mean, look, the course that I ranger at, there's guys teeing off at 6.30, and there's tee times till 4.30 in the afternoon straight every 10 minutes. Um, you're seeing it on the retail side, and I'm sure seeing it on the fitting side as well. So, you know, I, is it is it a, a, an instantaneous catalyst because of this pandemic, or, or is this, you know, internal growth that's, that's sustainable? I guess, obviously, that's still yet to be determined, but it definitely is a step in the right direction. Agree, because uh, hopefully whether it's just because of, you know, this cooped up mentality, but, you know, if it grows from that, so be it. But like you said, it's, you know, it's, a, it's very early to see if, if the growth is um, the, over the past, say, 10 years. Has the, is this now the result of the growth that's slowly been happening over the last decade where younger generations have gotten involved in the game? municipal golf is becoming more the norm country club golf is dying and people are realizing that golf's not all about just wearing stuffy pants and you know um being being uh exclusive um so whatever that may be um yeah i don't know i don't i couldn't couldn't even start to start to guess on that um but it's 
you know, my wife and I, shoot, we, was Wednesday we went out to try to play at our little nine hole course that we play out of down in the southern part of Rhode Island. And I called it 7.30 in the morning. It was like, yeah, you mind if, mind if we come down to like, you know, 11.30, that cool? Or she was like, uh, 3.30, that work? Like, <laughs> awesome. I love hearing that because then the club's going to be doing well. Um, but it's just wild, you know. And, and then in the, on, on the other side of things, it's, I've been speaking with, with Steve a lot, is a lot of players are still not back to work or going into the office or whatever it may be where we're full on. It's like nothing ever happened. We're just wearing, I'm just wearing surgical gloves and a mask all um, and clean, you know, and cleaning clubs 10 times more than we would. Uh, but overall the ranges are packed. The courses are packed. So does things slow back down once everybody starts going back to work or, you know, does office life kind of cause does the end of office life cause the growth of golf? I mean, that'd right. be pretty sweet. That'd be yeah, sweet. I mean, that might be a dissertation for some grad student out there that that's looking to, you <laughs> Somebody know, that actually has a college degree here. <laughs> yeah, see, this is a cause and effect type thing. Um, how how did you know? Uh, we gotta let people know. Um, you know, I, I think if you look at Spargo Golf on Instagram online. Um, you guys do the work of a very big organization. But like you said, and it's really no joke, it is John and it is Steve. Like, that is Spargo Golf. Um, that's it. Steve does all the flat stick work, all the putters, and John does, you know, all the club fittings and, and basically, you know, full bag or 13 clubs minus the putter there. So, being, uh, you know, a small group and obviously only being able to handle so many people per day, how difficult was that in the beginning with the rescheduling uh, of individuals to come back? You know, it, you, you didn't have eight people and you don't have, you know, 30 stalls where you can spread people out or so. It's a very individualized, personalized, um, you know, close-knit um system you've got there i that must have been difficult in the beginning there i'm so glad you asked that question because i could go on days for this um because it's still going on right now um it's such a struggle but uh we so in the once once we found out we got a date i think it was like the 28th or something it was a saturday i was doing a fitting and a buddy of mine texted me who's on the town council of cranston and said hey uh gina ramundo is about to shut everything down monday so I walked in, I said, Hey, uh, hit this wedge for a second. I gotta go. I gotta go talk to my guy <laughs> real quick. So I went into Steve and said, Hey, um, just start shooting out emails. Just start rescheduling people. It automatically will send the emails. If they have any questions, you can like give them, give them our number, let them leave voicemails and we can explain everything that way. But we've just got to start rescheduling these, this group of players, because it was like, we got to get the f Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of next week. We have to get them taken care of now. We can worry about the end of the month during this. But um, so Steve hopped on that. And then we just started sending emails. People, because it was so widespread, everybody what was going on in the beginning. Um, so everyone was really, really cool. And we were open about, hey, we're, you know, we're willing to you know, give you the refund. We completely understand. But we'd be forever grateful if you were to just reschedule. And we actually didn't have a, I, I, 
I'm trying to think. I, I can't remember a single cancellation. Um, so I, I can't thank all of the players out there who, who stuck with us and was really patient with us because once May hit, now we're into the heart of the season. Now we're booking into June. Now we're booking into July. Now we're booking into August, and it's still May. Um, so, you know, we had players. We had some players who were really impressed and really happy for us um, because they walked up to the shop and realized that it was just Steve and us just hustling our asses off. And we would tell them, hey, we're not, but we don't, we're booked out, you know, say June 8th and we're booked out till July 12th. That is awesome. And then you'd have the rare people that were just like, oh, that's unfortunate. It's like, well, I don't know. It depends on what side of the coin you're on because from my side, it's a great thing because you know, Steve's getting paid. We're paying our bills. We're back. We're paying invoices. We're back to business. So it, it sucks that we can't get you in right away, but they're only, they're only a certain amount of hours in a day and we only have one fitting studio. Um, right. So, right. and also, also, you know, the, the, the little curveball is for the first month, we couldn't do putter fittings because it was too close contact. Nobody could be inside the shop. So it was just Steve and I in the shop because I only have, shit, I have 290 square feet of retail space under the guidelines. Basically, Steve and I were too many people under the guidelines. So if Steve was doing work in the workshop, I literally was just sitting in the studio. Because we couldn't, so we couldn't do anything. So, you know, we're back booking all of the full bag fittings. So once putter fittings opened, oh man, I felt so bad for Steve because I got to, I got to watch what I look like after a full day, you know, a full week of, you know, 24 <laughs> fittings, it's just shell shock. Um, so he did, you know, and he killed it. Um, but what we're really dealing with now is, so in the beginning, everybody was really, really patient and understanding. And now things have gotten, it's continued. It ha- there's no solution right now. There's no solution at the, in the horizon of, you know, are things going to go back to normal? Are we going to be watching football in the fall? Are we going to be watching this, that, and the other? Um, but what people aren't remembering is that our industry, a lot of it is based out of China, Taiwan, Japan, Indonesia. So shipping's a nightmare right now. We've got clubs, man, that I ordered a month ago that aren't coming until September just because they don't have inventory. And and that's gotta be, I was, I was just gonna say, it's gotta be tough to kind of rationalize the people because you know they go with you they have yeah they have an amazing day they're like oh my god i'm pure in these things they're gonna be here tomorrow right (laughs) yeah and i and you know that's my favorite thing when people are when they walk out and they're like so i can get these clubs tomorrow because that means they had a great experience and they're they're psyched they're stoked to get their clubs so nothing makes me happier and then once we tell them you know it's gonna be two bit you know it's two business weeks regularly and we start. We told them, "Hey, it's gonna, you know, our our reps. We're very cl- in touch with our reps, and they're telling us it's gonna be a month. So here, we're being open with you. It's gonna be a month. And then they're cool. And then three weeks in, it's, hey, just checking in on my clubs. That's good. You know, we don't mind it the first few times. It's just the 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 fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteenth time that we're doing everything that we can, and we need to all work together to know that we're getting your clubs as fast as we can." And we're getting them built as perfectly as we can, but some things we don't have in our control, especially Steve and I. I mean, it's, you know, I can't yell at Ping. They don't care about me. <laughs> I can't call Titleist <laughs> and we'll be like, hey, listen here, Spartan Golf needs their clubs now. 
It's like, well, yeah, so do the other hundred thousand shops that are operational in this United States. Right. Um, so it's just a complete cluster. But at the same time, when I take a step back, it's exciting because people are really jacked up to play this game. So if we can handle, you know, it's just handling people's excitement, which who isn't excited to get new clubs? Who isn't excited to get something new? You want it now. It's how everything is in this, you know, in, in life it is we want instant gratification. We want to swing the club and we want to hit it pure immediately. We want to dr- pick up that driver and hit it 300 yards the first time, every time. So I get yeah, it. I mean, it's awesome. It's just, we're in such a weird thing, especially our industry, because it's, it's booming on one side, but on the shipping side, it's not, none of this stuff is being made in this country. <laughs> so we can't really get it as we can't get it fat. We can only get it as fast as we can. Um, and then seeing the overload of fittings, you know, doubled the, not doubled the problem because it's not a problem. It's just backward even more because it's now we're sitting on, we've got a, a player from a month ago that we're waiting on clubs and we are just stressing to get them clubs, but we're also waiting on the other 40 fittings that happened in that month not just that one player. Right. You know, and the, the thing is, too, that this pandemic was a global pandemic. It's not like it only hit the U.S. and, let's say, closed our businesses for a little bit and didn't affect anything else in the supply chain. It, it blew up the entire supply chain. And even, like you said, when we when we refer just to you as, as your shop there, Every single aspect of it was hit in one form or another. Yeah, and we're just talking about the golf side of this too, not the other, you know, the real per the people side of this. Um, Correct. I mean, when when Titleist opened up, um, they opened up a week after we opened up. So, you know, we had a week of fittings that we could have booked Titleist stuff, but they weren't building yet. They were already back ordered. Now that's just us. So say. So we briefly gave you another six fittings, six days a week, four fittings a day. Say we say 20% of that is Titleist. That's just us. That's just a little no sign shop in Cranston, Rhode Island. Never mind all the big box stores that need their new stuff and new equipment. Right. Um, and how about the first day they opened, they had somebody test positive for COVID and had to shut the whole operation down to clean again. So it was like little things like that. It was, they were trying to open. They had nine people in the shop to, to start putting stuff, assembling stuff. Then one person gets sick. They had to shut the whole operation down for 48 hours. So that backlogs even more because, you know, maybe, you know, the, the shop in Florida didn't shut down. The shop in Rhode Island shut, didn't shut down. The shop in Massachusetts didn't shut down. So they kept orders going, but the shop's closed. So they're not building. So they're sure. just, they're now have eight weeks of backlog plus the overload of the reopening and the excitement. It was, you know, it's, I've lost my patience with, um, with, with reps and, you know, if any of them listen to, I I am sorry, but it happens. You know, it's, it's, we're trying our, everybody's trying our hardest. So time and people want to play golf. Um, so it's the, you know, there's multiple levels to it. It's, it's pretty wild. And then, you know, there's the, the people side of it, of it's just like, well, holy shit, dude, this is just, you know, this is just golf. Let's, let's all just chill. These clubs will be here. Let's, let's, you know, people over in the West coast are trying their hardest. And if they're not open, 
you know, let's not get mad at them either because I can't get mad because, and I'm at fault too, because I've gotten mad at my reps when, you know, they've told me, Oh, there's nothing I can do. Well, I need you to do something. So it's, it's putting yourself in check as, you know, I want to do good by my player. My player wants the clubs now and the reps are trying their hardest. And the people who are building the clubs at Titleist and Mizuno and Callowing, they're trying their hardest. And the people making the decisions to open things up are trying their hardest. So it's, we got, you know, it's, I've had to learn to definitely be way more patient with, with the people who I'm dealing with the, to then deal with the players and help them understand because at the same time I've been a consumer too and waited and waited and waited and it sucks because you want your stuff and you've paid for it and, and that whole thing. So it's a, it's a really interesting time. <laughs> to be, yeah, I mean, and- to, especially to be like, you know, two years into owning, owning a business and, and kind of learning on the fly. And, you know, a lot of people are dealing this with this um, in, in multiple different ways. Well, I mean, there's, there's no cliff notes to this. You know what I mean? There's no exactly. way to go back and, and look and say, well, you know, they did it this way. I mean, okay. I mean, you can look at like, you know, the Spanish flu, the influenza, you know, back in whatever that was, 1918 or so. But that, that doesn't give you an idea uh, based upon how our society is nowadays, you know. Of, at more, all. of modern global economics. Exactly. At the end of the the day, the golf industry is global. We're a global business. We're a global game um, and everything is affected. Right. Um, And you're dealing with people. And that's, you know, aside from industry and all that, take all that away and take sports and everything else away. What this pandemic did was affect people. Very much so. Very much so. And it's, I will say, it's been. It's been fantastic having, you know, being able to having six off of not having that interaction of, you know, meeting people like you who came in and now we're, you know, we're, we're buddies and we're going to play golf and eventually. And um, to not have that for six weeks was it sucked. Um, so it's definitely been a blessing to get back to it and being able to, you know, get with these players and to see like that next level of excitement. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm sure I can't pitch anymore, but I'll deal with, I'll deal with if, if this is the excitement that people will have over this game, I'm in on that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one of the things I want to touch on is obviously everyone knows you as a club fitter, club builder and all that, but you've got a, a really, you know, impressive golf resume and, and oh, not, you. Well, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I've seen the All-American plaques up there. <laughs> we hold, you know, I hang that up proudly. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, hell, I would. I might have that tattooed on me, honestly. <laughs> but, you know, and, and not that a lot of people are under the assumption that, you know, in order to be a good teacher, you need to be a good player. In order to be a good club fitter, you need to be a good player. And that's not necessarily true at all. But I think it does help if you are a good club fitter and you happen to also be, you know, a, a good player that can also kind of teach. So we've got a, obviously a ton of new listeners and, and new fans, and new followers since we had you on last, which I think was episode 38. And this is going to be episode 113. Um, you go, man. Congratulations. Yeah. How bad we're spewing out a bunch of crap all over the place for everyone. Now, but aren't, aren't we all, <laughs> You know, and and uh, I think when we were talking off air, we said it's been like you know nine months or or something along those lines, eight eight nine months. Um, 
give give the new listeners kind of a background on you as a player because you know look everyone knows you as the club fitter like that reputation precedes yourself but you've got a pretty stout playing history uh give us a little info on that some background ah I, um yeah gladly um uh, so yeah i won't go all the way back I, my family was big golfers and yeah i played junior golf because my brother played um and had a pretty good pretty good junior career um but then went to university of rhode island for a couple of years um really not much success there uh transferred down to south carolina buford um where i met my now coach shane LeBaron and he turned me into the golfer I am today. Um, but yeah, had some success there. Won a few tournaments. Was a part of a really, really good team with a lot of good players that, you know, practice was probably harder than most of our tournaments. Um, so that pushed me into a new realm of, of player. And then my senior year, I was fortunate enough to, um, to play enough good golf to uh, get honored as a first team All-American and you know, from there, thought I could conquer the professional golf world and just quickly learn that there's a lot more good golfers out there. But I uh, moved out west and started playing some Pepsi events, um, some small, you know, small little mini tours, Gold State Tour, um, some Monday qualifiers here and there. But my focus really was just state opens. I, I you know, I met some really cool guys and had made good livings. Um, you know, just chasing that state opens and maybe doing some Monday qualifyings, but not putting so much of the focus on just Q school. Um, be, you know, being a real, you know, I don't want to sound like disrespectful. It just being a professional, you know, it's professional golf, not just being a PGA tour player or a corn Ferry player. There are plenty of guys who don't pay bills off of a real job playing golf every day. I know a lot of them. Um, so that was always, that turned into like, kind of my my main goal is just to to always be around the game um so play you know back to the playing career i went um had some small success on pepsi events uh pepsi tour events out in california arizona but just couldn't put it there for the three-day bigger events um to you know to really sustain a living um but once i moved back home to Rhode Island, I still played, kept playing the New England State Open stuff, um, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, New England, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. And once I kind of started fitting and um, learning to build, my game kind of got better. And um, since, you know, since coming back, my, the, the results have gotten way, way better. Um, you know, last season was one of the, one of the better seasons I've had. And it was my first year as an owner. So it was like, didn't really practice as much as I normally would, but I, you know, don't get me wrong. I still play golf every day, but it's not like a full, you know, you go, you go to a PGA tour event on a Tuesday. That's like watching some, that's like watching an accountant at work. They're, they're just at their job. Um, so I'm not doing stuff like that, but the love for the game and the enjoyment for playing and has definitely helped. Um, so I'll still play my 10 to 12 state opens a year. Unfortunately, this summer, they minus the, the Providence open over at Triggs. Um, everything else has been just gotten haircuts. Is there, I guess, how many do you know are still viable options to be played? Are there any? 
Um, in the Northeast? Ar- around New England, I've heard rumors of a couple money games that are going to be put together by, you know, um, one tournament director. But I, it's just a rumor right now because they canceled Vermont. I mean, in June, dude, we had a run in June that was going to be Cape Cod Open, Mass Open, New England Open, um, Vermont Open, Corn Ferry in Maine, then the following week was going to be the main open. So like six weeks in a row of state opens that were all just cut. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of good players out here. I know lost, a, lost a bit of their income. Um, but I know Rhode Island was in August that got canceled. Vermont then got rescheduled to the end of July, but it's in such a small town in Vermont, having people come over and stay in the hotel and they decided you know, it's for better that they're just going to postpone it till next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, but, it's, yeah. again, it's tough. It affects everybody. Exactly. I, you know, and I'm fortunate enough that when I go to play tournaments now, it is truly just fun. Um, I'm still very much playing for a living, but, you know, I have the shop um, representing my shop in my tournaments, um, trying to grow the brands to you know the professional levels i'd love to start building and and repairing clubs for all my fellow competitors in tournaments and hopefully higher um to range from the top of the game to the bottom of the game to the people who are beginning i'd love to you know love to do it all and still um be able to hold my own out there so that's you know that's i think in in my eyes that was always the most important thing was to be able to i always wanted to be able to compete so during the season, it is, you know, it, it's long, long days to put in practice and before work and, and building and then fitting and then playing and prepping for these events. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I would I would think that knowing you have something that pays the bills in the background almost makes it easier for you when you're competing on the golf course because you're not thinking, you know, this putt might be worth this or I need to shoot this or I need to finish here in order to make enough. Is that the case? Very true. Uh, couldn't, uh, you couldn't have said it better. Uh, I'm like, it's, you know, it, I joke that if I had this mentality in my twenties, then I'd probably wouldn't be doing this. But who knows? Um, but it's, you know, I have this mentality because of the shop. I have the patience on the golf course because, you know, I've worked with a lot of golfers throughout the I work with golfers throughout the year that are seeing different things and struggle so I can learn things for about my game and myself. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, standing on a first tee, I still get the butterflies like crazy. But knowing, you know, this paycheck is not going to affect my rent it's not going to affect you know the players that ordered those clubs yesterday no matter if i win the event i will be going back to the shop to fit the next day and build clubs and be happy like the happiest guy on earth um i've I've started to try to read more stories about the old you know the scottish uh club makers that came over to new york and came over here and were really good players and competed in the u.s opens and you know, they were building clubs for people and winning U.S. Opens. I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. They were true craftsmen. They knew how to play the clubs and they knew how to build the clubs. So there's, you know, there there's a there's a separation, you know, um, of 
the amount of time I get to put in, but it's still effective time. And, you know, the, of the last two years, man, the scores have been good. Um, I mean, I finished the Providence Open has been uh, finished uh, third last year and then was able to finish ninth this year, um, shooting 71-66 on the, the final day. And then, you know, go in Saturday, and you, you're fitting a 25 handicap who tells you they want to hit seven iron straighter. It's the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. It's so sick. <laughs> I think, you know, you know. Uh, first off, I want to touch on one point, and then I'll get to the point that's stuck in my head right now. But you mentioned that even you on the first tee, a guy that has played, how many, how many pro events have you played, would you say? Oh, God. Um, a lot. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> A, a dude that's been an All-American, has played hundreds of golf tournaments, still gets butterflies on the first tee like every other, you know, amateur crap golfer out there. I mean, I could be I get playing... it on the first tee with my buddies. Yeah, so, dude, <laughs> same thing. Oh, my God, man. I tell everyone, they're like, what do you mean? You've been playing golf for, like, you know, 20-plus years. I'm like, it doesn't matter, like – Golf is such an odd sport in which there's no do-over. Like, you know, if you play by the rules, you can play. Normally, we're trunk slammers, so we slam, we get on the first tee. Usually, it's always two balls off the first tee, which oh, kind of yeah, settles little, the nerves a bit. breakfast ball. Yeah, but if you are in a tournament or any type of setting and you're playing, like, ball down or something like that, it is a completely different world than going out with your friends. For sure. I had a brilliant... Um guy who's a kid who's a buddy of mine who's in my wedding um he went out and played tried to qualify for the state am this year and we were we were chatting quite a bit before and i was just kind of letting him into how i thought on the course in certain turn you know certain ways i felt and i was like yeah man and he's like oh yeah do you, you know how nervous do you get i was like bigger the event um it takes you know i'm i am just butterfly city on the first tee and sometimes, yeah, after the first tee shot, you settle in. I was like, or it takes three or four holes. And, you know, you just can't feel like you're even – you don't even feel like you're swinging a golf club. You don't know what's happening. Um, you're trying to settle yourself down. You're so excited. Um, but it's really the best feeling in the world. And he was like, oh, is that, you know, recently? I was like, yeah, that was last year at the Rhode Island State Open. <laughs> I, held, I held the lead in our state open for the first round. Um and standing on the first tee, I mean, whew, it was a cool, it was the best feeling in the world. But it was like legitimate, just nerves. Um, but then you fast forward, we tee off, we got eight guys on Memorial Day, um, same feeling. <laughs> there, and I'm, and I, the the next closest handicap to me is a is an eight. Um, right. But it's still right. the same feeling because yeah. golf's that individual. It doesn't matter if you're playing against somebody. It's that something that you you play it for yourself. If you play this game seriously, a part of you plays it for yourself, for that self-improvement of, I know I can hit a shot better than that. I know I can make that putt. Then there's that next level of competition, but the competition is really always with yourself. And, I mean, that's just my I, the way I've always looked at it. I mean, and that's what makes the game so unique and, and so special because you, you can't ever be perfect. You know what I mean? No matter what, like, you take your, your best round ever and you look back and you say, you know what? Yeah, I left three strokes out there. And, and you say that to people and they're like, okay, dude, you shot like 63? What are you talking about? Like, yeah, easily. Like, I easily left three or four strokes out there. But you can do that 
with every single round. You know, it, it, oh, perfection yeah. perfection is unattainable in this game. It, yeah, it's like the um, it's the search. You're always searching for it, but if you if your only goal is for perfection, I don't think you're going to get the most out of the game. But if you're trying to be perfect and searching for it, then you're always going to you're going to work hard, you're going to do the right steps, but you're going to realize that you're never going to obtain that perfection. I was having a conversation um, with my group of buddies. We got a, a group chat with 11 of us that we've known each other, some of us since grade school and some of us since college. And uh, he, one of my buddies was getting the update for my wife of the round. And, you know, I went bogey 366. It was a great round. But I was telling him, I was like, it's a really weird feeling where – I left a lot of shots out there. Yeah, I shot six under. I finished ninth, but yeah, I missed like I missed the seven footer for Eagle here. I left this putt short. I did this. I did that. That could, you know, and then you start playing the coulda game, which is probably the most dangerous game to play as a golfer because no golfer ever plays. I could have shot eighty four. <laughs> so I could have shot sixty. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 so true. Amateurs, pros do it alike and it's you know it's it's kind of like that self-deprecation. It's it's almost like our minds are what hold us back. And you made a great point. You said, you know, perfection is unattainable and if you try to do that, then the journey probably, you know, sucks if like that's your end game, right? Cuz you'll never get there. But I think the great thing about golf is like searching for that or whatever your idea of perfection is, whether it's breaking 80 or it's, you know, shooting four rounds under par in, at a tournament or whatever, that journey that you're on, that search for it becomes the only thing that's important. You know, I think people need to embrace that and kind of understand sure. where you where you come from in the game, you know, and, and, and where you get to. I mean, you get to my age and you look at, you know, 20 plus years of playing and you're going, wow, like, I started off as a dude that thought golf was the dumbest thing in the world and got tricked into playing. And then as soon as I couldn't and now you master have a podcast to talk and, about look golf at me. all day yeah, long. Yeah, I mean now and yeah, now I'm a certified golf nerd right now, you know? <laughs> like it's just it's it's ridiculous. I, but but that's the journey, you know? Like I've had four I think f- five rounds now under par. And obviously, you know, let's Let's be completely clear and open. Like I'm playing from white tees, you know, sometimes blue. I'm not under playing par, from No, under pars, under par. Don't let anybody no, tell sure. you differently. No, 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 no. I'm not I'm not saying, but you know, I'm not trying to tell people I hit the ball 280 either, you know, or anything like that. I and feel comfortable on a 6800-yard course. I don't, but obviously still need to chip and putt and that's kind of, you know, the game in and of itself, but uh you know, I look at that journey from a dude who literally played his first round of golf with his buddy's clubs because I didn't have clubs and got tricked into playing to where I am now. And that journey has been amazing, you know, and, and, and your journey is amazing to you and completely different than what mine is. And that's what makes the game so amazing. It fits so many lifestyles. For sure. You nailed it. Um, like, you know, going full circle back to, you know, what I do now more um, for a living is, getting people to kind of hop on that journey whatever your skill level is like get on man it it is the coolest thing ever you're going to meet some awesome people along the way you're going to have trials tribulations you're going to learn a little bit about yourself um but 
at the end of the day, it's just, it's too much fun not to, not to chase it. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's so true. Um, I want to give the new listeners a little info on getting fit, right? Because I think it would be a disservice to them if we didn't talk about, you know, I mean, one of the, the best club fitters in, in the United States and not give the people an idea of kind of how a fitting goes. There's a lot of people That's that have true. not been fit, right? And, and you've heard the excuses. Um, I want to get my swing better. Um, I, it, it's too, it costs too much. I'm not good enough. I want to get my handicap down. I don't have the time for it. Give me an idea. Give everybody an idea of kind of like a day in the life of John at Spargo. If, if I was coming to get fit. Well, you know, it's, and that's, I'd probably say the most, most common one is I'm not good enough to get fit, which is just a load of crap. Um, cause we all have just, we all have swing tendencies. Um, but yeah, when you walk into the shop, you, you know, you're welcomed by, uh, you're welcomed by my man, Steve. Um, he brings it out to the studio, gets you warmed up, kind of sometimes we'll give you a little interview, just chat with you a bit. Um, or just, you know, let you do your thing, let you stretch. Um, and once I come out, you know, if, say we're, we're just going to do a full bag fitting. Um, well, you know, as even from when I, when I fit you, Dan, uh, we're trying to evolve and, and learn. And, and um, what I've started to do over the past, you know, few months is um, ask, I've kind of put the game into five categories for players. You've got your tee shots, you've got your approach shots, you've got wedges, you've got chipping, and you've got putting. And then I tell them to rank it one through five. So then right away, I can, I can kind of making them feel, I'm making them vulnerable a little bit so they can open up and say, you know, my putting's awesome. My driving shit. Um, all right, cool. Let's focus on that driving first. Let's, let's take your driver. Let's measure it up. Let's frequency. It, let's see where the flex, you know, the flex may say regular. Let's see what it actually is by, um, by our, our little machine. Um, get length, get, figure out why this player doesn't like the driver. Um, and then test it against their test, all of our equipment against their equipment to try to beat to, we, we always want to make you drastically better. Um, sometimes players can fall into the trap of just buying clubs to buy clubs. It's all well and good, but it's not what I do. Um, I'm not a golf club salesman. I'm a club fitter and a club builder, and I want to make you better at the game. So if you come in with a club that's really, really good and I can't make you better, I'm not going to tell you to buy a new club. Um, you know, there's one, I had one instance where there was a miscommunication of a player and we were able to solve it. Um, that they had brand new clubs and we wanted them to get more comfortable. They were a year into the game and we wanted them to get comfortable with the equipment they had because it was close enough. Um, was it perfect for them? No, but it was very good equipment. The shafts were within, you know, within a close enough gram weight. They were the right flex and say, Hey, go, you know, go, go play, go keep getting your lessons and keep doing your thing. And then in a couple of years, that's when maybe you'll see a bigger improvement in getting new equipment. Um, but that's our biggest thing is I want to make you drastically better. I want you to look back at me and say, I've never hit a damn golf ball like that before. We've, <laughs> we've gotten, we're onto something there because, Hey, we just found your ceiling. We just found a new ceiling. Let's try to duplicate that a bit more. Um, so then from driver down, we'll, we'll blend that into the fairway woods, into the hybrids, um, into the irons, into the wedges. And then we go inside and, and then you get to spend an hour and a half with, 
with the mad putter scientist Steve, um, where he puts you on the Tommy system and and matches a, a putting stroke or I'm sorry, a putter to your natural putting arc, or he'll retrofit your putter to what you know something was good, but yours was pretty close. Um, but let's you know let's let's get it to the exact spec we think and then go play and see is that better? And if it's not, okay, we have specs on a putter that if you want something new. Um, we're, as we always tell each other, we're, you know, we're some of the worst salesmen in the world because I want to give you options. I want to, the, the, a player came in today, very good player, uh, played pro ball, uh, basketball over in Europe, huge guy, seven footer, um, had a really high end shaft, the brand new TS three head. Now setting was at standard weights were at standard. They cut it down a half an inch from 45 and a half, but didn't replace the weight. So I put, you know, the 12 gram weight in there, put it at a setting that I thought was going to be better. And I mean, tomahawking it down the fairway, but his whole goal was to maybe try some different drivers because he was, didn't feel confident with this, this TS three. And in my opinion, a lot of the confidence because it wasn't the right lie angle and it wasn't the right weight configuration. Sure. Um, so we hit a bunch of other drivers. We've got him dialed into a couple more. He's actually, we, I made him uh, a bit tired towards the end. So he's coming back for a half hour tomorrow to, to test the ping versus the Cobra and the, uh, test his, test his title list. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's really hard to find drastically better from a brand new club because I'm not as smart as the engineers who built that Tensi orange tour, tour edition. I'm not as smart as the people who uh, designed the Project X smoke yellow that I put them into. Um, so it's, I want the player to make that decision. That's completely on you. That is, you know, I'll give you the, hey, this is, this is the length I think you should be in, flex, weight, all this stuff. But, you know, when you hit this Titleist, you're flying it 295 yards. When you're flying this Cobra, you're flying 298. If a thousand dollars is three hundred dollars worth it, three yards worth it to you, then here's your option. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we made you better because your equipment is pretty darn good. Maybe it's something where you haven't been playing a lot or you haven't been practicing a lot. So let's change this setting to what I think. Why don't you go play half a dozen times? And then if it's not the way you want, now we can come back and look at those other two drivers with a little bit better sample little bit better sample size and we don't have to just completely beat up the, the the new titleist now if a player comes in and just says i have no confidence with this driver cool then we're gonna you know we're gonna work very hard to get him or her out of that profile out of that club head completely out of that look to change what their eyes looking at how it frames the ball um so it's as a player no matter high handicap low handicap i want the player to have a lot of the control over what they're looking at. Well, I'm taking care of all the important stuff of the shaft profiles, the lengths, the lie angles. Um, and then we can, you know, we work together of, of head shape because a lot of players come in and say, you know, I don't know what I want. I really don't. Um, I've been playing this club for 20 years. I don't know what's out there. And that club might, you know, and then we run into the issues of loft issues and, and, head shape so we're again back to working together to find something that you're going to feel comfortable with that when you leave there you're going to play more golf 
And that's the whole thing, right? I mean, the bottom line is confidence is absolutely priceless. It really is. It truly is. And the guy, I learned a little, I learned something new today, this afternoon. Um, You know, as much as I liked what this player had in his hands in that title list, he clearly didn't have confidence looking at that club. Yeah, and and you can't be a complete player without it. Like, there's there's no way that if you're going to stand on a first tee box and you're nervous to begin with, you know, that when you look down at something and you're just you're hoping and praying that you're going to hit it well. That's what it becomes. Yeah, if you're hoping, if you're wishing, and that you know, that's when you get into that two-way miss kind of area. Um, if you're standing on a tee box and you can miss it both ways by thinking you oh, make the you're same dead. swing, you've got no shot. Yeah, you're absolutely you, dead. And at the end of the day, that's what we're, whether the player hits a massive slice or a massive hook, sorry about that little silence. We had some, uh, thought someone knocked on our door downstairs, had to go check on that. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, when you get a player who's can confidently say whether they're, you know, usually they are making somewhat of a similar swing, but when they, they look at you and say, yeah, you know, I sit on, I sat on one and I made this swing and it went left to right. And then I sat on two and I made what felt like the same swing and it went the other way. Yeah, usually we've got something, you know, we've got something that's probably wrong with the shaft. But as a player, how do you stand on three and pick a target? Yeah, you, you I mean, you confidently cannot do that. <laughs> so going back to confidence, you're just confidently, you're confidently confident you're not going to hit a good shot. <laughs> Correct. And, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that sometimes people don't know what they want. And, and I came in, you know, having played tailor-made clubs my entire life. And then really that was all I've ever played. But I came in and I was just like, hey, dude, look, here's my swing. Uh, here's, you know, here's me, you know, completely like stripped down. I'm not going to lie about driver distance or anything like this this is what i shoot i could care less what clubs i end up with when i leave here but i just need to know that they are the clubs that are best for me that's the bottom line and i think i think that we we accomplished that you know 100 percent. i love to hear that and uh, you know um, a lot of players leave with mizunos that never you know, never thought they would ever hit a Mizuno. Um, and it just goes to show if you come in with a, if you come into a fitting with an open mind, whether you're with me or, you know, some of the, some of the other really good club fitting outfits, there's a ton of them throughout the country. There's people who are just like me, just super dedicated and really just love the game of golf. But, you know, once you go in there, it's, go in with an open mind. Um, you know, brand loyalty is a silly thing. They're not paying any of us. You know, I'm a I'm a mini tour player. I don't get paid by anybody to play equipment. Um, I've got a hodgepodge of equipment because I pick which ones on that monitor and in that studio in Ballflight. Those are the ones that reacted the best for me, and those are the ones I have the best results with. Um, so currently, right now, I've got a set of uh, I got a ping ping driver. I've messed around with the sim a little bit, but I've stuck with the ping G410. Um, I've got an old tailor-made three-wood. I've got uh, ping hybrids. I'm actually building up a set of wish-on-irons for myself. I'm going full-on club builder style um, because I just love what Wishon's really up to, and he's not an OEM company. Um, and then I got some Adele wedges out of Texas. 
I've got uh, Cody James, uh, local, you know, local uh, putter maker out of Massachusetts. Um, and I've put in some Cobra hybrids. I've switched in Mizuno irons. I've switched in Adele irons. I've switched in ping irons. Um, you know, it's, it's what works the best for you. Um, no matter what, what logos on that company, because at the end of the day, if you're, if you're buying clubs, because what we think, say DJ or Rory or Justin or, or any of these tour players are playing. One of the biggest myths I will tell a player is um, that's not what they're playing. They're just being paid to represent that logo. Um, they are going through a much deeper process and they're fitting and bending clubs and grinding irons and everything is so specific to them. Now, if you are paid to have a 14 club contract in your bag, now we have to go a certain way. But if you look at these, look at players who don't look at like a Rocco media who doesn't have a contract, he's got a ping driver, Callaway hybrid, ping irons, um, artisan wedges and an artisan putter. You look at what Duffner did when he didn't have a contract. He did national customs. He had Patrick and Don Blake grinding irons for him. Um, because if they, if a lot of these players were left up to no contracts, the bags would look vastly different um, because they'd be able to do the same thing that all amateurs are able to do. But amateurs get stuck in, into that marketing where, you know, like you said, you're a tailor-made guy. If you went in there just tailor-made, we would have had a really shitty fitting because at that time I didn't have tailor mix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny so. because like, if you do, if you go into a place and you're like, Hey, I, I need to hit Tylus clubs only. And you know, you're like a 30 handicap. Uh, like I'm, I don't want to be rude to you, but you're a fool. Like you've been duped. You, you fell into, you know, what makes the American public, the American public, the fact that they just kind of, you know, follow like sheep and the manufacturers got you. They got you for all you were worth. They they got your fifteen hundred bucks. Those clubs might not even come close to fitting you correctly, but you bought into the hype. You bought into that cursive uh, that cursive logo. And hey, man, I you know I sell you know I I like my I like a lot of what these companies do. Like you know, Ping are fantastic engineers. Um, they really care about the player. They care about improvement. Um, you know, they're one of the few that offer retro lofting to their irons, to their game improvement irons. So you can get a G4 degrees. Um, so you can get loft on the club. Uh, you know, Titleist makes great clubs. Cobra's making good stuff. It's, you know, not a, just a bash fest of OEMs, but don't just fall victim to this club's going to make you hit it further or better um, just because of the logo. Uh you know, the only person right now that is proving how you hit the ball further is Bryson DeChambeau. Couldn't, I mean, you, you can't say it any better. You're right. <laughs> I mean, that it, is how, you know, yeah. it's like getting in your car and starting the engine and then sitting and drive and not pushing the pedal and wondering why you're not going. You've got to push the pedal faster. Right. And the thing is, like, with Bryson, he could do that with any club. I mean, he could come to your fitting studio and hit 10 oh, different drivers that. and do the same thing same thing over and over is that Correct. skill levels there that's yeah skill it's not it's not for clubs that that's doing it you know exactly he puts on a titleist he puts on this you know he was playing adele before but adele doesn't pay players like that and it's nothing against right. them they that's just not how their business is modeled at they're you know cobra is a massive manufacturer to do good work 
Um, but for the average player, I always, I try to tell players go in with an open mind and don't be afraid to have a mixed bag. Don't be afraid to say, I just want to, I want to get out of this fitting good contact and I want to get more accuracy or I want to have better feel rather than the one thing I, I want more distance. I want more distance. It's like, well, distance is, it's a silly thing to go after. Um, anywho, but it's, it's, there's a lot more to it than just a new golf club. And I'm going to be the first one to tell you, and if that upsets you, then we're probably going to have a bad time in this fitting. But, you know, our goal is to hit better shots and hit more greens and hit more fairways. And if you just go in saying, well, the new TaylorMade is going to make me go 20 yards when maybe the Mizuno, because of their triangle, does a little bit better for you or the ping because of the way that shaft is counterbalanced and they don't offer it somewhere else. Now, if you didn't, if you just came in there with blinders on a TaylorMade, you just kind of hindered your experience as a golfer. Um, so it's more just walk in with an open mind and say, Hey, I just want to hit everything. I want to hit, I want to hit the best one. Yeah. Um, and, 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 tr- uh, honestly, and trust your fitter is going to do the right thing. Right. I, I was going to say that. I, and honestly, trust the person that you went to. You went to that person for a reason. They do their job for a reason because, you know, hopefully they're very good at it. Like you are put a little faith in them. Simple as that. Um, yeah. Listen, I got it. I got I want to get you out of here on this. I know it's, it's getting late. You've got work tomorrow. Um, we're recording kind of late at night. It fits the schedule. That's all right. But gotta when do, I gotta put... do what we got to do. We're busy, you, guys. You're coaching baseball, school, man. It's got to make, make happen what we can. So I, I told you off air when I had put up, you know, that I was having you on the pod tonight. I got a bunch of DMs from people. And a few people had questions. A lot of those we have already answered. So, you know, hopefully when you listen to this, you get a better idea of what a fitting is going to be like, you get a better understanding of, you know, how John kind of parlays his skill into um, the fitting. Hopefully it makes you or motivates you to, you know, get out to Rhode Island on a little road trip out there. But here are some questions that I'm going to get you at on kind of a little bit rapid fire style, if you will. Um, one, one, one of our favorite listeners, I appreciate this one, asks, John, is Dan's swing the most unique swing you have ever fit? Ooh. <laughs> one of, one of, but um, produces the backswing will the backswing will get get everybody confused because the downswing gets you right back on top of it. That's Correct. Everybody get everybody gets confused. They're watching the wrong thing. <laughs> I'm going to start telling people that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, a bunch of people have – I've gotten this a few times over, actually. Um, real laid-back attitude, real kind of mellow dude. What is your go-to music on the course? Ooh, um, so when the White Fire are playing, we will – big reggae fans – Big um, Luke Matrani, um, Dirty Heads, Jack Johnson, toss on maybe some Paul Simon. You know, just you got to get a good groove. It gets the swing right, gets the mood right. Um, but, yeah, it can, it can change. Um, you know, some days when warming up, uh, I feel like rap gets put into my headphones a little bit more. 
Um, but when, you know, just listening to golf course with a speaker, um, I like to have more of that just kind of laid back, mellow, mellow music, not too, not too aggressive. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm, uh, kind of almost in the same boat. I like a lot of dead when I'm out there playing, um, you know, a 10, 15 minute song kind of just passes the time really, really easily. But, but it's funny when I was hitting balls at the range the other day, um, and had a speaker on, I just go off to the side by myself. I had run the jewels on, right? So that's a complete different, you know, like you couldn't get more night just, and day than that. Absolutely. But it, you know, sometimes it just works. And then there are other days where I've got a pod, you know, I've got the podcast on, um, and I'm just listening to just a bunch of podcasts over and over and over. Um, and I don't listen to music at all that day. Uh, For sure. So it's, it, yeah, it's golf course playing though is, you know, I'm practicing, I'll probably listen to more podcasts and I've, you know, I've heard different, you shouldn't do that and all that, but it almost, yeah, hey, don't listen, don't off. listen to my voice when you're practicing. That's a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> no. Um, but you know, it, it almost turns my brain off to, um, if I can, you know, if I can still hit it good with, you know, with conversation going on in my head, then I can kind of focus on what I'm doing at that time a little bit better ah, that's um, where interesting on the where with music on the course with buddies or, or with my wife or um or with the family it's just more just background music of it's supposed to be a fun fun time um you know tournament tournament golf is one of the rare times that i don't have music going on when i'm playing you know, you know one thing that I found. I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes when I have music on and I'm about to swing, let's say I'm you know taking my practice swings or in my pre-shot routine, and I'm over the ball, if I know a specific song is gonna like hit a breakdown or hit a chorus part or something like that, I'll actually wait while I'm over the ball until that moment occurs and try to sync it up. And then other times it 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 throws me off because. I'm singing the words in my head as I know I should be focusing on what I'm doing <laughs> on the course. I love that. I got a buddy who will wait if he knows another if he knows another song's going, he'll wait till the next song. So he'll just kind of sit behind the ball waiting for the next <laughs> song to hit. It's not it's obnoxious, but it, you know it's you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, it works for him. It works for him. Um, someone wanted to know what is your what tournament round are you most proud of? Oh shit! Um, you know I gotta go. Uh, last summer, Providence Open. Um, you know, kind of cliche. Uh, I shot sixty-one. Um, shot 11, 11 under. Had thirteen birdies and two bogeys. Good lord! And three pars. Um, and it was I shot seventy in the first round, so I was completely out of the event. And I had to start on the back line. And I was playing with a freshman in college and a senior in high school. And um, from the, you know that first swing, it was like, ah, you know, today feels good, even on the range. Um, but yeah, it was, it was from the word go. Um, just made birdie, birdie, bogey, then made five birdies in a row. Um, so once I made the turn, I got into contention and then just kept going and. The, my, my mindset was never on where I was at in the round. I had fully trance, you know, I'd kind of gone into, I want to win this golf tournament right now. I don't care. 
58 is what it's going to take. That's what I'm going to shoot. Yeah. Um, so it was, a, it was like all of the work that I'd been putting in um, out West, all of the work that had kind of never shined the way I want, needed it to shine finally came through and it was like opened up my eyes of where, holy shit, I can go, I can go low. Um, and I'm not really, it didn't bother me being that low. I got even more calm and more focused and, and things became easier, um, as the round got deeper, you know, the only bogey I made on the back nine was because I was super aggressive and flew one over the top of a flag short side of trying to make another birdie. Um, but then a month later, I had another course record and, um, yeah, I made a couple bogeys, but was much closer and it just opened up this this whole comfortability being very very low um and going into events knowing that you know that's in the back pocket if if i get my head out of my ass and play to my potential i love the rounds that are so smooth that you just Maybe you make a tap in par or you make a birdie and you just cannot wait to get to the next tee box to attack the next hole. Yes. It's not like, okay, I'm three under. Let's just get to the house. It's, oh, I can't wait to hit this next. Um, You're so focused. You're so in it. And, you know, you, you probably, you, anybody, if you read a sports psychology book and, you know, people call it, talk about flow state and um, like pro, you know, pro snowboard skiers about a flow state Brotella talks about being in the zone um dr bob winter same thing but that's what it was truly and you know it's for me it wasn't um hadn't had it happen as a pro like that that in depth so it was, it was really fun and you know being 32 and um not being only playing golf for it to happen that way it was like cool i have yeah, you know, I can still compete and I can still play and I can still I can still hold my own in here and what we're doing at the shop and what, what I'm doing on the golf course is all working together and um so it was more than just shooting a really good number. It was all of the stuff we were doing at the shop and everything was working well together. So it was it was really encouraging because my whole goal is always to been a be a pro golfer, um and also be a club builder and a club fitter. Um, so I want to be all three of those, not just one or the other. That's awesome. All right. Last question I've got. Someone wants to know, has there ever been a swing or a person so bad at golf that you could not fit them? No, nope. Flat out. Um, now uh, we got a little bit of time. I'll, I'll, I'll expand on that. Um, now, players have had swings that haven't been able to produce really good ball striking, but even that player has had some sort of swing tendency that we can fit to. They, they really, no matter if they make contact or not, they release their, they, their wrist unhinges at some point in the downswing, and that's what we're fitting shaft to. So I'd love for them to hit one solid so they can turn around and be like, yeah, that was it. We can work with that. Um, but yeah, no, I've had sessions where we hours and the player has not made really contact at all um so we get lie angle we get length we get flex we get a weight but we don't push that you know i don't push that player into new clubs but if they just want new clubs they're gonna get them um but yeah there's never been a swing that's that there, there is no swing that that is that bad um it's just unique uh now 
if you can come in with your expectations low, if you have that unique swing or that so-called bad swing, if you come in with an open mind and, and um, you're going to leave with equipment that's better for you than what you have probably. But if you come in thinking that a golf club is going to change that unique move, yeah, no, that it, it, the fitting process, you need to change your, your thought process on the fit because that's what teachers are for. We're here to fit for how, you're, you know, how, how you release the club and how you make a move at the ball. And whether it's good or quote-unquote bad, um, we can always fit something. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask that question because I knew the answer to it, but I wanted to. Well, I wanted it's to because it's important, though. It's it so is. important because people think people think just because they, you know, their their swings not quote unquote textbook, they can't get fitter. They're not good enough to get fit. It's we. I want to see that the good players are the hardest to fit. They're the biggest jackasses in the world. I'm a terrible person to get to fit because <laughs> I know what I want. I'm a perfectionist. I'm not going to give you the fact that I hit that shot perfect because I know I can hit something better or, you know, or I'm not going to blame, I'm going to more blame a, a swing flaw than a club or, you know, it's the, the, the newer players and the higher handicaps, they can benefit so much because chances are they walked into a golf store and said, I'm this level of golfer. Um, maybe swung three times and they got put into it and probably got put into the wrong shaft, the wrong length, the wrong angle, because none of that stuff was checked. It was just, I needed to get golf clothes because I got an outing on Monday. Right. Um, so if, if we go through and actually get everything dialed into your body type, yeah, you might want to put some more time in because as you know, the secret behind this game has nothing to do with golf clubs. It's putting in the time. Once we get all the, you know, once we get the information, once we get Liangle, we get length, we get all the hard specs. Now, like we started this conversation of you having confidence of knowing that it's not the golf club anymore. Now that next equation, you just got to keep putting in the work. And that's the fun that goes back to, again, this is a journey. It is not an end product. Getting fit is not the end result. Getting fit is part of the journey. Hey, I think that is an absolute perfect way to end the podcast. Right. right? Yeah. Getting, so getting fit is part of the journey. <laughs> I was hoping you hopped in there. <laughs> That's perfect, dude. Oh, man. Hey, well, look. Blast on, chatting with you. Yeah, absolute blast as always. Um, look, we people. We might have follow- to postpone our round till next season, but we're getting that round in. Yeah, until we can be within, uh, you know, six feet of each other. <laughs> until we can high five. <laughs> hey, follow John on Instagram at Spargo Golf. See what him and Steve do behind the scenes. Um, gosh, we've been going for an hour and twenty. It, look, next time I want to talk about hickory clubs with you too, because I know oh, you get deep. I know, I know you August get deep into 17th. that. We got the Golden Mashie August 17th at Wanham Autonomy All Hickory Tournament. We got I will have a call after that. My boy Lewis is putting on. There's this old tournament from 22 to 29 quickly that happened at Newport, uh, the golf course next to Newport Country Club that no longer exists called Ocean Links. They grabbed a rock and put a gold club on it, and the tournament was the Golden Mashie. So Lewis, who got me into Hickory, 
um, has organized. We've got, I think, like 28 people playing on Monday. We closed the shop. Steve and I are going out. Spargo Golf is repping some Hickory Golf. So we're, we're going to have some fun. Some Link Soul mandatory golf, golf style, you know? Always an absolute blast, buddy. Man, have a good one. All right, people. So we either get busy golfing or get busy dying. The game of golf is more than a sport. It's a lifestyle. Blue skies, bright sun, the walk, good friends, and the shots that keep you coming back. That is golf. Iconic, vintage, classic. Eagles and Arrows didn't create the look. They've only perfected it. Eagles and Arrows provides the classic American golf look with a modern spin. Hats, gloves, club head covers, and my favorite, the vintage American carry bag, are some of the amazing items you can find at eaglesandarrows.com. Follow them on Instagram at eaglesandarrows.co. It's Eagles and Arrows Company, C-O, on Instagram. Love golf, live life, Eagles and Arrows.